0: Guest. whose turn is it today we're going to be talking about unusual turn order in games and joining you as always is me nathan and i'm jackie welcome everyone so what made you want to talk about unusual turn order
1: so it might be that i just finished the new time stories revolution the first installment of the new series of time stories the adult project did you like it I like it i feel that they are now going in a different direction the way they use time traveling and all of that i don't want to spoil it for those of you who want to try it and play it on their own but they did like a lot of the changes they made what about you
0: so <laughs> when scott and i played it it was bad we missed probably about half of the game Ouch! because when we i'm trying to figure out how to say it without spoiling things So when we were able to leave the main area, Mm -hmm. we immediately left and we hadn't gone through all of the original area. Got it. And there was no way of getting back once something happened. Okay, I can see that. Sure. So they were like talking about these people that you were supposed to have met and in the original setting, we missed so much. But... Again, one of the things that I like, going back to our
1: theme, is that they changed the donor. order. So for those of you who might not have heard of Time Stories, Time Stories was this innovative system where you go through locations that are very free form. You see the location on different panorama cards and you choose which one to pick up and look at it. But it was still very... Turn base. So in this turn, you go to this card and I go to that card. And in the next turn, I move to this card and you instead do a test. Now they have made it so that you have basically action points that you spend, but that you spend throughout the game, not in each round. And so it's very free form and hence what inspired my interest for different turn orders i must say that compared to the old ones they streamlined quite a bit they got rid of the very wonky fighting and testing system of the previous one with the skulls and the rolling and the matching the skulls that you roll to the skulls that you add on the difficulty of the test and I'm getting headaches just by describing it. (laughs) I also really like the way they try to bring in branching conversations into the game. Now when you meet Some people, that's the weird thing, not everyone, but most of the people you talk to, you can actually talk to them and each character has a little deck of interaction cards and so depending on whether you are a former soldier or a nice girl or whatever, the people react to you in different ways and depending on whether they know you already or not. And I think that was a a very nice touch. The story got better at the beginning. It was quite confusing. It got a little better. I still don't think it really fits the Time Stories premise because they got rid of the concept of the run which I get could get somehow boring from time to time, repeating the same locations and all of that. But it was at the same time the one distinctive feature of Time Stories. Now this is just an exploration game with a veneer of time traveling
0: i'm interested to see where this series goes because i feel like the way that they are approaching it now could take it anywhere the next one is midsummer night yeah midsummer night so it takes it into a fantasy realm not that the other ones were super realistic but definitely more realistic than a fantasy shakespearean setting
1: yeah absolutely and i think that's the weird thing about this one as well that It's in the future, so time travel that goes from the future to the future doesn't feel like time travel in general. It feels more like, oh, okay, it's science fiction in general, right? This one is set in 2099, and so the beauty of the time traveling, which is, oh, you can use modern ideas, albeit a little advanced, in ancient times it's last year they're using technologies that we don't have so it was a little strange i think i like it more than the last few i really really didn't like madame australia drive i didn't like the pirate one uh, brotherhood of the coast was fine but i think i like this better but i definitely didn't feel the great innovation of things like expedition endurance or the
0: original the asylum but it was
1: okay and the art was fantastic
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the game Time Stories, the original, is from Peggy Chassinet and Manuel Rozoy from Asmodee.
1: Yeah, and Rozoy is still a quality designer for this is the link basically between all of them I think is quality for all of them while the co-designers change from scenario to scenario. So
0: overall you liked it and do you think you would get future ones of this series?
1: Well I don't know if it were up to me I think I would wait and see what the reviews are of the next one. I know that Anna likes them a lot so we'll probably end up getting them. I really like the new format where you can just get one and play it and they reduce the repeated tokens to basically just those little gems i can imagine which are now used for action points for those who haven't played the new version to the point that i would like to make do-it-yourself project and cut down the original box to something like this because it now annoys me to have the big one that is out of sync with the others
0: yeah it's weird that the original series required the base game because all it really had was like this board and those like you said those universal tokens and i really like that this one has a much smaller footprint it seems a lot more portable than the other one and i'm looking forward to the next one to see what changes they bring and what kind of story it is Mm -hmm. so
1: what have you played i must say that the large majority of the list of what we played since Last time is when we played with you, we took the chance between uh, the fact that we stopped the podcast for a week and the fact that we got together over the weekend when the restrictions eased where we live. Most of the games I played of interest in the last week or so I played with you. Uh, but so which one did you want to talk about or do you have anything else that you have played
0: so i think one that i think merits some discussion is Terramara. oh yeah because i really really liked it i told you you would it was very thinky i really liked the way that the workers got used and recycled i am happy with the score that i received at the end of the game (laughs) even though it was far less than yours but it had so many different ways to score points and to move forward that it i don't know it just really was a solid solid game
1: yeah i think it gives a nice twist on worker placement the two main things i think that make it differently is one is kind of a worker placement because you go into a space does limit other people but doesn't completely cut them off as in a proper worker placement case basically you need to either have and spend military. You have to have more military than the other players already there and spend military. Second, the second person to go to a spot does lock it down. Third, you cannot repeat your own spot. And fourth, everyone has one giant meeple that trumps all of these rules, but the one for the two pieces. And if he goes somewhere, he can definitely go there if it's still open and locks anyone else out. So I think that all of that makes for a highly interactive and very tricky to plan. And on top of all of that, there is a mechanic by which you can send your workers to future turns. So there is an entire set of spaces that is accessible to you, but at a cost, you are basically borrowing against yourself because you will leave there your worker for the next one, two, three rounds. And so renounce an action. And when I explained the game and when I read the game, I thought, well, I would never do that, right? It seems crazy. But sometimes you realize, well, what do I do with all of these workers if the actions have been reduced? The things that I need are not there. I might as well sacrifice this worker for a few turns, but at least I get now what I need and sure I won't get those actions but I get the card I get some power.
0: It almost felt like a Feld game to me. I can see that. There were so many things that you wanted to do. It was very point salad It had so many different venues that you could take. You could travel along the river or you could travel on the road or you could go for end game scoring or you could go for immediate things and I never felt like I had enough workers. So that's what really kind of made it feel like a Feld to me like the so many different options for points and not enough workers to do everything you want.
1: Yes, I I can see that, although there are certain things like direct interaction where you're trying to limit what other people can do, the very nature of the worker placement and the tracks. Uh, I feel that Fel doesn't use a lot of tracks beside turn orders, which we'll get to. While in Terramar, you have two different tracks, well, three if you count the military, but two where you progress and by progressing you unlock different actions i think the main difference that i felt in a game like this compared to a game by felt is that it is true that everything gives you a little bit of points but the aggregate effect is larger than each instance effect like in felt normally when you take an action whether you take it at the beginning or late in the game, that action will give you that stuff. A tile in Burgundy has always the same effect. A card in Bruges does the same thing whether you play in fifth round of the game or in the first one. In Merlin, each time you send a worker, you get one piece. While here, moving your workers along the river, your boat along the river, gets progressively stronger. And moving your second chariot opens up new options that you didn't have at the beginning of the game, and that's something that makes felt games a little cleaner. Although, vice versa, it provides complexity. So I like both things. I feel that most felt sit at the lower border of my complexity love, and this is definitely at the highest border. And it is true that it's not a big span. I like my euros in a specific condition, so it's not. Like there is a huge gap but i do think that those things contribute to make this a little more complicated
0: you think this is at the highest level of what kind of euros you like i think so i mean
1: not that i won't play anything higher but i do feel that this is the most complex that i've played in a while that i like that i really really like like for example take madeira when i played it a long time ago i i liked it i played it i enjoyed it i played it again but it was never a game that I wanted to own, that I wanted to teach to people, that I wanted to share. While this, like solking like those kind of games, these are also in length. It goes a little over two hours. Those are the kind of games that I like a lot. I feel it falls in the same complexity range of a Newton. It's slightly more complex than a Gugong. I really do think that that's the complexity I want.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a good game. I didn't feel broken... <laughs> So it might be a little under the highest complexity level that I enjoy. I didn't really get an engine going. So I think that's where I fell behind significantly. But I did like the actions that I chose.
1: Yeah, well, one that I didn't particularly enjoy the complexity of. I thought it would be more more deep for how many moving parts where there was Gentis that we also played over that weekend. We played that two player rather than three. By reading the rules, I was super excited. It's basically a civilization game, although the theme is weak. And you have a board with a bunch of different actions you can take. And to do the action, you take the corresponding tile, place it on a track that is your time track, and occupy other spaces on that track with time. So you're managing your time. And if you spend a lot of time this round, you will have fewer action next round, something like that. And it felt very exciting. But in the end, it was just, okay, this turn I will do three actions rather than four. You needed to unlock spaces. The cards came out in a random order. I don't know. I felt that as many little rules, maybe more than other games that we mentioned today, but didn't work for me. Oh, by the way, this is, again, Gentus which is published by TMG, which is one of my favorite publishers. And I had great expectations for it, and it felt a little short. It's by Stefan Risthaus, which I don't think I had played anything by before. He usually does things a little more involved. His other famous game is Arkwright, which is a big spreadsheet game. And yeah, that game a little flat for me.
0: Oh, we didn't mention Terramara. You've mentioned a few times who Terramara is by because we've mentioned it a few times in the podcast. But Terramara is by Brosini, Gili, Luperto, Tinto from the Akitoka Collective and published by Quind Games.
1: And the artist is, of course, Michael Menzel, which is, again, one of those classical Euro artists.
0: Gentis was okay for me. I would like to try it more to see if I really liked it or if it is something that would be called from my collection. It sits in a weird spot because, as you know, and as I've mentioned quite a few times, two player is the most common way that I play games. And it felt really dry. Like, it was, oh, you take an action. I take an action. You take an action. I take... And sure, that's most games, right? But it didn't feel like we were ramping up to stuff that significantly different from the beginning of the game.
1: I absolutely agree. And also, I think one of the weakest parts of the game is that you're building these cards. That's the goal. Everything you're doing is going towards those cards. And building those cards still takes an action, and sometimes, and some coins, and some so that you get excited by the cards. For example, the last round where you're finally ready to build cards, I build a card, you build a card, I build a card, you build a card, and now there are no more tiles to build cards. So we have done nothing else in the round because we were set up for the cards. And if building the cards was not an action, but like in Taramara, by the way, something that you simply do after your action that probably open up more space, but then there wouldn't be enough game because there are fewer actions. So yeah, I I had great expectations for it and it felt somewhat flat. Though speaking of two player games, you, well, we use your copy to introduce you and reintroduce me to a game that I actually find out that I like quite a bit in two players, which is Welcome to the Dungeon. Mm -hmm. So when I had played it, when it came out a few years ago now, and I like the art. It was cute. It's oh, why more more years than I thought. It's from two thousand and thirteen by Masato Uesuchi, but published in the West, let's say by Yellow. And it's cute. The art by Uesuchi himself in the original. I think the Yellow edition is with art by Chapuis. The idea is very simple. Is You are going into a dungeon, but it's not you personally. It's a hero going into a dungeon. And you are, I guess, his entourage. And you're saying, oh, he can certainly go deeper in the dungeon. Or you're saying, oh, he can certainly reach this level of the dungeon, but without his famous sword. And so you take turns drawing cards. And when you draw a card, you decide whether to put it in the dungeon, making his challenge harder or not put into the dungeon, but then remove... One of his equipment pieces, and therefore making it harder for him to beat whatever he has to beat. And it's fun, it's quick, the playing time says 30 minutes, but in two players it's probably 15 minutes. And then when you think it's too dangerous, you just don't draw a card and tell the other player you go and they basically run the dungeon, flip the cards, and see if they survive. The problem is that each of these single decisions increases the risk considerably. So often what would happen would be that as soon as you put in another thing, Everyone else runs away and now you're stuck with your very dangerous dungeon. With two, you have a little more control. You know more of the information of what is in the dungeon. And since playing it with you, uh, we bought it, played it another three times. And I really like it now with two players.
0: Good. I had not played it before so I was excited to try it it's fun it's a little push your luck you know how many things can I take away before the other person calls my bluff so it felt a little luck based but it's also a strategy because you are putting in things that you know maybe are easy to beat or you're taking things out that are easy to beat to reduce the likelihood of completing the dungeons I liked it a lot it brought a lot of game in a short amount of time
1: anything else that you played that you or that we played that you wanted to talk about did you want to talk about Trismegistus (laughs) oh yes that that was as I was saying that was the one he had one more so Trismegistus was one of my most anticipated games from last year, from 2019. It is by Daniele Taccini with Federico Pio Lorenzi. And Tascini has worked on some of my favorite games like Solkin together with Luciani is not in the collective, but in that Italian environment of designers that often work together to produce very solid euros. And I always follow his work i like what he does and the art was popping although that became almost a problem later for me in the game by niziolek and walk and it's published in the west by boden dice and so it promised and it actually had some things that i really really like for example it's based on the euro approach to dice rafting which has become popular so not the felled approach of you roll your own dice and then you modify them and try to deal with them but the more euro safe approach of you draft dice like in Coimbra like in Pulsar like in all of those games however with a twist you draft from a pool that is divided by number so much like in Gandostri Hotel you don't care only what number you need but also how many of those are there and although Gandostri Hotel is by Luciani and that was interesting and there were different things that you can do and each die could be used for the symbol or for the color and do different things much like in coimbra which i also like a lot and yet the game didn't click Uh, not only didn't click it was a slog it was frustrating I did find the end result was good, but it was so frustrating. There were a lot of rules that were not intuitive. There were a lot of rules that we got wrong at the beginning that didn't impact the game because we caught them in time, but still for a game that in the end didn't provide that much depth. Uh, what was your impression? Because you seemed to like it certainly more than me. How did it go for you?
0: I really liked it. I thought it was smart. I thought it was very different. I thought that it was something that I would definitely like to revisit. This is one game that I would definitely play as a solo game also. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are reactions and things that you can do to respond to other people taking actions. But other than that, there wasn't too much player interaction. Oh, well, the drafting right? Taking the
1: dice that other people want can be important, but I do agree that it was often a minor affair, which I also didn't like because it's, okay i can do this with this die or with this die i would have liked to get this before you because then i would have had a potency which is basically the currency that you spend with these dice of four rather than three but okay i'll get the other one so it's true the interaction that was another thing that i didn't particularly like that it's a drafting game there should be some interesting interaction but in the end it was well half a dozen of one or six of the other right and that was a missed opportunity. Also, Anna described it as one of those games where every time you try to do something, you remember that you need first to do something else. And that could be a very good thing actually, (laughs) but it felt a little sad.
0: I liked it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was very different. I liked that it had a story arc, you know, trying to build more and more impressive things and see who can get to build all of the things that they need. And I liked it a lot. I know that you didn't particularly, but it may be because the complexity is rated higher than that of Terra It might be. And it's definitely too busy of a game for me.
1: There is a lot of things that you have to do that are clear clearly there to make things more complex. First of all, the dumbest idea ever was to use alchemical symbols rather than numbers on the dice, which makes it very cute, but also we had a lot of confusion in a lot of moments on what you could do with what. People were constantly confused. Would have been much easier with numbers from one to six, or with symbols that were more differentiated. But yeah, that's exactly the problem that I think without having any more depth than the other games we mentioned, because it's actually quite straightforward. On that regard, it clicked for me. I I got a lot of points. It was fine, but the depth was not there. The complexity is definitely all over the place for things that don't need to be. For example take the tracks you're moving forward on four different tracks which correspond to four different symbols but just for the sake of it they detach those symbols that you're moving towards from the symbols that you need to acquire to perform a certain action that moves you up there the correct transmutation symbols and that's in name of being able to switch it from game to game and therefore making it more complex without any actual discernible augmentation of depth or of your replayability, because I will just take token A rather than token B. So again, a perfect example, you're absolutely right, of a game that gets more complex than it needs to be without delivering additional depth. And I think that goes to a lot of things to for example, how the potions and the artifacts interact one with the other, or the fact that you activate artifacts when you do certain things and then you flip them. But those things that you do You do almost every round anyhow, so they might be just a one-use thing, but instead you have to choose where to put them in your transmutation path or the fact that there are different branches in the transmutation path that only cause confusion without adding a lot of depth. And I think that's exactly the problem that I have.
0: Yeah. I feel like a lot of the depth was self-imposed. Yeah. Like, it wasn't the game that actually was making all these difficult choices it was you making them and then i guess not planning far enough ahead so it felt like you had to be thinking so far ahead into the future which i'm not particularly good at that that's where a lot of the complexity lied and i liked it my head hurts just thinking about it (laughs) in a good way though for me
1: i think another thing that i didn't particularly Love, which again seems to be taking an idea from Newton, again, as an evidence that these authors do work with each other a lot, like some ideas you can find in Gendostriotel and Coimbra and Newton. And in Newton, they introduced this idea that your basic board is slightly different. In Newton, you have one of the drawers on your examination table that already has one action unlocked that is different. And here, there was a lot of that. And I have some skepticism on all of that being fully balanced because the variance is so high. So you have different things that you can unlock and you unlock them in different order and in different numbers. And on top of that, you have a set of tiles that are randomly placed, but the set is different for each player. And it felt like some were strictly superior to others. For example, getting reactions, which allow you to copy one use of another people dye compared to being able to change the color of your dye, which doesn't add anything to you, just gives you more flexibility. And so the person who had no way to get more reaction, in this case Scott, that gets really, really tricky. And there were a lot of things like that. So I am not a big fan of these completely asymmetrical boards but in which is not oh you have this one specific power that we have designed but just okay this line is different for you and this grade is different for you and all of these tokens are different for you it feels almost impossible to balance and i didn't feel they were balanced i felt mine was good and there were certain things that was allowed to do by nature of having that shouldn't be a thing and what makes it worse is that they are not even optional it's not like castle of burgundy where you can play with the different layout here you play with that there is no way out of it and that was also a problem to me
0: so would you have liked it more if you could draft the things around the little discovery tiles like if those were removed from the boards and you could actually like pick things and put them around the board
1: but then it makes it even worse that someone has the lab with the arrows and the columns that are better than others. For example, both you and I had options to add permanent reaction markers to a board and even to flip some of them back because reaction markers you use once around and you can flip them at the beginning of the round and so you can either add more which is super strong or flip some of them back which is still quite good because it's extra actions and so it's tricky because there is so much built into it which I don't think you can simply draft the top because then someone who has a bad lab will possibly also not have great things but again it wasn't probably the worst game I played in a while or anything like that it was just that I had so much great expectations and in the end it became quite repetitive I felt that okay I will do this to move this stuff here and the artifacts were not particularly interesting the fact that every little thing needed a token and sure it was easy enough to acquire but again complexity over depth and that's not something that
0: i love so the million dollar question is would you play it again
1: maybe two players not more sure i would but it's not something that i will ever suggest or request <laughs>
0: Fair enough, fair enough.
1: While I liked, we talked about this last time as well, but I really liked our last game of Newton. We tried the expansion, the small expansion, and that part, it seems neither of us cared about particularly the Great Discoveries expansion. But the game confirmed, again, it sits, I think, in the same range of complexity. There is a lot of things that going on in Newton but they come together in a cleaner way. I don't know what it is, whether it is the objectives, whether it is the fact that the cards are both actions and requirements, but I think the comparison was merciless for Trismegistus.
0: All right, so let's continue on to our topic of the day, which is unusual turn order.
1: Yes, so I think that turn order, especially in euros, but not just that is very relevant and we're making no discovery here. And I think that's apparent by the fact of how many games use systems to determine who goes first. Well, beside the starting player, right, every game tries to come up with a clever way. It used to be always the youngest player or something like that. Now they have things like the last player who visited a boat or the last (laughs) player who ate pasta. And I understand they're trying to be. Funny, it comes down to randomized first player. And then there are games where the first player changes. A lot of Euros have an option for you to go and become first player, including Taramara, but including many, many, many others. But what I was curious about was games where the turn order changes throughout the game. And that obviously shines most in games that are more than two players or... even games that are designed for two or more players when you play them with more and it was interesting in games where the resolution of the actions or of the turn is not simply going around the table no matter who starts because i think that well first it confuses me all the time (laughs) i always go out of order when that's a thing that was a thing in trismegistus the order of the action played. my ideal target for this would have been and i don't know if i have found one one in which every action is taken in a different order, not just every round composed of many turns, but we will get to that. So what do you think? Do you like the fragmented or modified player order? Or do you prefer the beauty, the elegance of the, well, this turn I start and then player two and three go, and then next round player two starts and then player three and myself go and so forth and so on?
0: I think it depends on the game, honestly. For example, a game, Lords of Seedit, is very fun to figure out how you can best action program something knowing that next turn you're going in a different spot in turn order. Because in Lords of Sita, you are action programming your turn and it resolves one by one around in sequential turn order. So if you went first, you will not go last. So it's fun to sort of be puzzly about certain things because that game, it is huge what number you are in turn order. But I do also enjoy the other games that really have just a different way of looking at turn order.
1: Yeah, I do think you bring up a perfect example i i didn't think of games where the regularity of the turn order makes it particularly interesting because normally it's simply a matter of well if i go first i have first choice and then someone else will have first choice but in lots of cities since there is a timing that sometimes you want to go to the same action before someone else and sometimes after it's great if you can time it so that okay i get this first then he gets that, but then next round he is first, so he has to get that, and then I get whatever is left, which in Xilip is often better, and so yeah, I hadn't thought about the simple rotation of the turn in a game like that makes it more interesting rather than Simpler in terms of, okay, now I have the best choice because I'm first.
0: Yeah, so like I was saying, I think it really depends on what the game itself is because obviously for something that's worker placement, going first is clearly better. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends on the other mechanisms as to whether the game benefits from unusual turn order or is hindered by it. Yes.
1: So do you want to introduce us to your third Favorite either game or structure for turn order?
0: Oh, I was just going to do
1: one and talk about it more in depth. Okay. So let me build up to that with my little list. So I think one that we really like, we're used to, is Feld's turn order, which is very straightforward, but changes constantly. In most games, by Feld, Macau, Castle of Burgundy, Bora Bora, there are a bunch. So maybe not in most, but at least 50%. The turn order changes based on a track. It's usually resolved by last on top is first. So if I reach you, I pass you basically. I think it is exemplified best by Rialto where you actually bid for that at the beginning of each round. The first bid in this kind of auction game is for turn order. But then there are a bunch of others and it's the typical fell turn order, which was popularized by Macau, but then became widely available in Castle Burgundy and things like that. My second pick is actually in Red November, which is a crazy little cop game, and was it also in a game by the same designer as Molword, which is Olympus, and this is the time track. The idea is that every time you take an action, you spend some time and you move on a track, and it's always the turn of the last player in position which is basically also what Raids makes on a board, but is also in Glamour. So it's basically that, the or Kraftwagen, the more you do, the later your turn will come. You can do as much or jump as far as you want, but then you have to wait for other players to catch up. And I think that Kraftwagen is probably the best example of that, although it doesn't use time tracks, it simply moves around a list of actions so you can jump to the action that is as far as you want because it's particularly good etc but then the other players will be slowly
0: catching up and taking a lot of actions mine was actually raids so okay i guess i can talk about it now so raids from yellow by matthew Dunstan and brett j gilbert is A game about vikings where you are doing lots of different things fighting monsters getting goods to sell having a set collection through collecting runes so there's lots of different ways to get points in this game and the unusual turn order is the person who is farthest behind on the board goes the thing that i particularly like about raids too is that every action that is between the last person and the second to last person gets removed from the game it is very smart it's a very well thought out way of handling turn order
1: there is no free meal yeah right like there is in kraftwagen or glenmore where you pick up everything on the way to the second to
0: last player so I really like that part of it. I think that Raids is the epitome of unusual turn order for me. I don't play many other games that have that kind of turn order. So it was very interesting to me when I first played it. And it's still, I still find it interesting and still think that that game stands up, even though, you know, it's not super new of games that have been released.
1: Is it two years ago?
0: Yeah. I think. And I mean, considering that
1: this year we won't have Jenkin is the second to last Jenkan So it's basically last Jankun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I consider raids, and I mention it, I think what prevents me from putting it number one, or even to just take it as the flag bearer of this kind of games, is that sometimes when your turn comes, you don't take an action because of the vikings economy so one of the things that rates turns on its head is that you take your action not on your turn but when it would be your turn next so people can maneuver and take away what you got so sometimes when it's your turn to act it's not necessarily your turn to enjoy the fruit of your labor you get what you had conquered before but you know already that you have conquered it so that's not your your moment of triumph and then you move to somewhere and maybe they push you back. So I feel that it is so freeform, which might be the very good thing that you were mentioning. To be fair, I I expected you to go with Nations because Nations is one of those where you can directly determine your turn order. And so I also consider it. But my number one are games where the turn order changes every round and is not player beholden by action, but action related. And there are games like Mission Red Planet or Jungle Branch, or anything else where players simultaneously or in order, like in Jungle Branch, they choose which cards to play, but then cards are resolved in numerical order. In Mission Red Planet, it's simply you check if there are ones, then twos, then threes. And I think the best game to exemplify this is a very rare game, which unfortunately... I don't own, which is uh, Kalamako or something like that, which is a very fun game where you don't want to be playing the lowest card nor the highest and you manage your card. But in general games where you can choose what to play, but then the number that you play determines the order in which you play. So where there is no knowing in advance. Who will go first. And I do really like
0: that. Yeah. I Those kinds of games. I feel like the strategy portion behind raids. Is what really pushes that to the front for me. Mm -hmm. I think that that is what makes them so unique. It's just another layer of strategy. That you have to think about. That I really enjoy. Mm
1: -hmm. So in general. I think that the changing and the structure in which turns are taken is crucial to the interaction between players and that's true of board games of card games or role-playing games the way in which you sequence your actions and that's why i find that very important even in games where the turn order is fixed but where maybe the actions are reduced to a smaller chunk, so that you're constantly involved because i feel that the risk with Fixed turn order is that sometimes, especially when it's very long, you feel that, oh, I'm always played last, and that's not necessarily fun. I would like to finish this conversation on whose turn is it with my opinion of the worst turn order. Do you have a candidate for that? (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? So I think I have a very strong contender for this. And it comes from a game that I otherwise like quite a bit and that I will always. Ever play at two players, and that's Grandosio Hotel. Mm, so yeah. Grandosio Hotel has this very fair-sounding and very nice idea of doing like draft and counter-draft, more or less, like this in other games where the first player will have the first pick on something, and the last player will have the first pick on something else. However, in practical terms, that means that if, say, you're playing a four-player game player one will have the first and eighth choice, which means they will play once and then wait seven actions or seven turns before it comes back to them. And it gets better because immediately after that, they become last player by the first player token moving. And therefore, they now have to wait another four actions to get back to them. So that by the time they take the third action, in a way, they have witnessed nine actions in which they took one. And that's really, really painful. Not only the time of the game is long with four players, but it feels like you're not playing for a very long time. So I think that that them from trying to break the first player choice advantage and things like that. But... It backfired, in my opinion, and that's the one thing that I don't like about that game.
0: As soon as you said it, I remembered that that was something that you just despised. Yeah, I do.
1: But it's rare. That's
0: fine. What do you feel about games where you have to bid for turn order?
1: I usually feel, and that's my problem with Five Tribes, for example, that it's really an interesting auction because either there is something very good that you want to bid for and so in the end it becomes oh this thing that was very good and exciting in this game now became less interesting because it costed so much to the person who's taking it but often it's a all two player compete and the third player benefit because it's okay I'll bid zero so now you have the option do you want to try and make this thing expensive for Anna or Do you also bid zero and now she takes all of these points so it puts you or me, whoever is in the turn, in the condition of having to bid just knowing that the other player will overbid you and not enjoying the staying out of it aspect. So while I liked it in theory, I often find that it's not my favorite moment in games. It's weird, it's how much is this worth? And again, often with Five Tribes, it happens that they, people go, oh, zero, zero, zero. oh, I have to pay one and be first and it's understandable because if everything else is more or less the same then spending for first player becomes a damage i don't think i like that i prefer things like nations where you can influence it so you can decide okay if i do this i will be first but at least you are also getting something else by doing it in nations in particular is the military track
0: yeah five tribes was the one that i was thinking of too though so
1: and do you like it in five tribes
0: i feel like i'm pretty good at five tribes at recognizing when something is valuable points wise Mm -hmm. so i think i do like it but i can also see the other side of it when people can't because there's so much going on with five tribes there's so many different possible actions for you to take especially in the beginning of the game Mm -hmm. that it's really not clear you have to sort of math out what this spot is worth to you and that I don't particularly care for the figuring it out mm-hmm. with math because i feel like that is very very prevalent in that game in particular
1: oh yeah you calculate this thing is worth 15 points and this other is worth 10 therefore if he wants to have that action he needs to be paying at least five and at that point i go three he goes five okay so he got a 10 and then i get a seven so it it is a little dry on that regard and vice versa five tribes is very rich as a game so i feel that a low of the game not a not necessarily a flow but it's a low moment compared to other exciting moments in five tribes yeah and as i said uh, i mentioned it as my number 3 but in general felt as this i think elegant way where you can spend some resources but it's usually something minor right it's either collateral Like in Castle of Burgundy, when you take the boat, you move forward, but you still want to take the boat for other reasons, the ship, whatever. In Macau is, sure, you do spend cubes, but usually you throw one extra cube at the wall. You don't go in and do, oh, my turn will be moving on the wall. So I guess I do like ways to control the turn order that are not necessarily super expensive that's why for example in most euro games when you take the action that makes you first player you also get a little other benefit in champions of midgard you also get a white die in agricola i don't remember i haven't played in a while but i think you get the food and there is a lot of that interesting enough Terramara does another little thing that i like a lot if you get first player you get something but also the third and the fourth player get something so that... Yeah,
0: I really like that a lot. It
1: recognizes that, oh, sure, the player that plays after me loves being first player, and now I'm screwed without any agency of my own. So the only thing is to get the first player, which is not worth as much as he thinks or as they think, uh, or just suffer always going forth. And that's a good balance is like if the player after you is always taking the first player, then you keep getting a benefit that I hadn't seen anywhere. And I really, really appreciated that. I think it's the turn of the closure.
0: Yeah, so I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for the people who have sent out questions or comments or suggestions for us. We really Hope that you are enjoying the podcast as much as we are and we are available on all social media platforms. We are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and you can also email us at boardgamegambit at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions or topics or anything that you would like us to talk about we are happy to hear from you so signing out it is me Nathan and I'm Jackie thank you for listening and see you next time bye bye -bye.